Thank you, sisters and brothers. You almost stole my sermon. Well read. Well read. What a joy it is to be back with you here. And uh, you may notice already that I have a different accent. I speak the Queen's English. And, you know, I know you have a problem with that. And actually, it's not the Queen's English. It's actually from Liverpool, which is the north of England, which sounds a little different. And nobody in England would say I speak the Queen's English because it's got a different kind of twist to it. But I hope you you understand me. And if not, I think uh, Asbury's probably got a teleprompter that'll help you with (laughs) the English. It's such a joy to be here. As uh, Dr. Freymeyer invited me here, um, I thought about driving up I-4 and not worrying about the traffic and not worrying about, you know, all those exams I had to do and all those awful papers that (laughs) professors made me do. But I thought about how wonderful it was to come home. As Dr. Freyman mentioned, I've been graduated now three years and, and often you don't get the freedom to sing. You know, you're worried about what's coming next, you know, what's coming on next and what, how am I going to worship if I'm like worried about whether the children are slipping up over the floor in front of me, you know, what am I, when I come home, I can sing and I can worship with you and that's a joy to be with you. A home is a place where we are happy and content. Our house in the middle of our street, our house, it has a crowd. There's always something happening that's usually quite loud. You know that song by Madness? And back in the 80s, there's a song by Madness that talked about the house in the middle of the street and how it needed not knowing introduction because it was such a nightmare to be in. If your house is like that, let me see your hand. <laughs> Buying a house, purchasing a house, Having a house that you live in is really important to us. The house that you come out of, the house that you are a part of, it resides in your memory. The house that you build is probably going to look like something that's, that's inside of here, that's inside of here. Things that your parents did, things that you did when you were growing up is kind of like the house that you're going to put together. The house that you look for is really important. The, the things that you put on the floor, the things that you hang on, on, the, on the walls. This looks really nice, by the way, Jeff. And... <laughs> What you hang in there is really important. 20, when I was 20 years old, I, uh, I bought my first house at the advice of my mother not to. I totally ignored her. And I, and I bought this home that, that, uh, that I left. Like, as, as Jeff mentioned, I was in the Royal Navy for 14 years, so I went to sea a lot. And so I bought this home, and then I put renters in it. I put renters in there, and I was confused as to why the renters weren't, weren't paying up, you know? And I, I was in the middle of the ocean, and we were at this, like, fancy dinner with my captain, and the, the ship was floating in the middle of the ocean kind of thing, and we were, we were all buttoned up for, in uniform, ready to, to, to have this formal dinner with the captain. And I don't know what happened, but we started talking about homes and houses, and I was really frustrated that the renters weren't paying the rent. And I said to the captain, what, you know, what kind of advice have you got about buying a home? And you know what he said, right? There's three important things. He said, it's location, location, location. Thank you very much, sir. That's really helpful in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> a house is where we live. David has arrived in his house. David has arrived in his home. And it's, it's important who we know who David is before we understand and talk about who he is as a king. 
back in, uh, at Wellspring, where the church I'm at, we've been talking about hangers in our closet. We've been talking about how our Old Testament knowledge is like our closets, which is used to have hangers with clothes on them, like a jacket or a dress or something. And now it's all laying on the floor, and we've forgotten who Abraham is and where David is and, and where everybody's meant to fit. Yeah, this is not my idea. This is Sandra Richter's idea in Epic of Eden. And there's this mess on the floor. And we're like, uh, does this go on here? This goes on here. Where does David go? Does Abraham go here? And so initially we had Noah. And I've been telling them that, you know, it was about creation and uncreation and, and how Noah helped us recreate the world that was decreated. And how there was this opportunity for us to be recreated all the time. And then after that, as you know, we have Abraham. And Abraham was given a covenant. So the first covenant was Noah. And the second covenant was Abraham. And he said, I'll promise you stars. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. And then after that, there came a line of people called the Levites. And these people um, had a guy called Moses. And this guy, Moses, um, it led people through the desert. And we know about this. Preachers talk about Moses all the time. It's great to talk about great preaching sermon series kind of thing. And this guy brought the people near to the land. He didn't get to see the land, but somebody else took over. And Joshua took over. And they went into the land. He led them into the land of milk and honey. And when he got to the land of milk and honey, everyone was like, yay, God. Right? Yeah, look at all these covenants we had. Look at all the, yeah, and then after a while, they got milk and honey and just kept eating that stuff, milk and honey, milk and honey, and they forgot about the covenants of God. You know the pattern? They forgot about the covenants of God. They disobeyed the patterns and, and things that God had taught them through different people and different prophets, and they started to go around in this circle. They disobeyed God, and then there was foreign oppression in wars, and, and they, they screamed out to God and repented or realigned with God and said, Help us, God, send somebody. So God sent them somebody, right? A judge or a, a, a somebody that would govern them, a governor for us to understand what that would be. A, a judge came and they had military victory. Yay, God. Yay, we love God. Yeah, we got victory. It's great, great thing. We're all happy. We're going to follow God's covenant again. They'd, they'd rejoice, they'd be obedient. And guess what? Round again. Round again. You know it. You know your biblical studies. You know that there was a bunch of judges that fit in a bunch of other sermons. And then after the judges, the, the Hebrews said, wasn't there, weren't we meant to have a king? Didn't, wasn't there a promise somewhere we were meant to have some sort of king? Give us a king. Get us a king. Let's get a king. All right, let's get a king. So they chose a king. They chose a king. This is important. They chose a king that looked like a king, a tall guy. Tall guy who was handsome and ruddy, that, that uh, was, was politically influential, that had the, the right uh, military uh, wherewithal, he had access to chariots, yeah, and they chose this king. Politically influential, that's all we need, right? Wrong. God says, I will get you a king. I will choose you a king, and he will be one of the, the youngest of eight out of this tribe, and I'll send my, 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 my prophet to anoint this guy, and that where the Misach, Misach, he'll, he'll anoint him, and he'll bring him up to be the king of Israel. So here we are. David's got all this victory in, his, in where he is. He's this victory, com completed all of his wars, and he's sitting in his temple, in his, in his palace, and he's looking out, I don't know, maybe he, he looked out and went, oh, poor God. Poor God's in a little tabernacle and his ark is in there. I'm up here in my palace. 
we should get God a temple. Let's get God a temple. Nathan, let's get God a temple. Let's, let's get God. Okay, no problem, says Nathan. Go ahead. I'm, Nathan's a prophet. Nathan's a prophet, somebody who delivers the word of God correctly. Amen. Nathan is somebody who tells people what God is saying. But I, get, I think Nathan is a discerning person. He's a wise person. He understands that, you know, if God's temple is not as looked after as where he is, that's not a bad assumption, right? Go ahead. Go ahead. Build, build him a temple. And then that night he goes to bed. By the way, if you're always going to make a big decision, test the next day, paper the next day, yeah, go to bed. Sleep on it. Get up early. Nathan goes to bed. God spoke to him. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got something to tell David. I got something to tell David what he should do. Go. He says to him, go and tell David. Tell David that I've got something to tell him. Tell him that you are going to build me a house. Are you going to build me a house? Now, that word there, as all you Hebrew scholars know, means what? Buy it. Yeah, buy it means a, a few things. Thank you. Uh, uh, buy it means a few things. It means house, temple, or room. So a place to be in. But it also means a family, a clan, or a tribe or lineage. And God says, wait, wait, wait. Did I ever, we heard it in the reading here. Did I ever need a house, says Bobby? Did I ever need a house before? When I was wandering around the desert with you and it was like for 80 years or whatever it was, we wandered around. Did I need a temple then? Oh yeah, I met you in the tabernacle. I met your priests. And I, did I ever say to them, hey, priests, I need a house of cedar. Did I ever say that? Have you ever heard me begging the leaders or anyone for that matter for a palace like yours? Let's remember, almighty king, who you are. Remember when I chose you, when you were a shepherd. Remember when, I, when you were like out in the fields and we were looking for you. And I sent my, my Samuel over to anoint you. And I, and I anointed you to be king. Remember that? That was me. And I've been with you all the time. All the time I've been with you. I'd never needed a house. I don't need you to build me a house. I will build you a house. I don't know, maybe David was thinking he was like Mr. Incredible or something. He'd like rose up the social ladder. He'd, be, he'd gone from being a local pastor to a provisional elder to, a, to an ordained elder. And he got to the top of the world and he can control everything. He even thought he could control God. There's no doubt, brothers and sisters, there's political danger in this passage. There's no doubt that David thinks God is on his side and his side only. But we don't do that today, do we? <laughs> Bruce Birch, Bruce C. Birch, who is a commentator on this text, says, there are clear ideological interests in this text, and it runs dangerously close to political propaganda. God must be on my side. Everything's going well. I've won all my battles and I'm sitting here high and pretty in my little seat. Verse 10, God says, you will not build me a house, temple, tabernacle, family. I will build 
a house according to my grace. Important here is Yahweh's place on that word, buy it. In the Madness song of the 80s, our house in the middle of our street was talking about a place, a location, a place where people live, a bricks and mortar kind of place, like Asbury Theological Seminary. It's a place where people gather and people are together as family. In another song that's out lately, Mr. Wives, I've got this song called We Built Our Own House. And this song is about a kind of place where we'd like to belong together, a place where people abide together. And some, some of the lyrics of that song that this girl put together, is, it says that uh, we, are, we have a, a place where we, we place our hand on our hearts and we swear on that day that we'll never be apart. So this house, there's a physical house, there's a, a place where you create which you want to be like, like a legacy. And then there's a dynasty, that's not the 1980s like drama series that, that destroyed the whole world's perception of the United States of America, right? Good grief. What was that about? I'm talking about a dynasty. I'm talking about a, um, a place that has a legacy, a, a, a tribal tradition like Asbury, a, a lineage, a clan of people that, that subscribe to a certain way of life. Funny, do you find as your family gets older, as, as you, you know, as, as you, you start off with some biological kind of family, you come from these people and, and then sometimes you have your people and they're biologically related to you. And then after a while, these people get more people, like they kind of, they're friends and they become your family, not necessarily biologically, but they follow your tribe and your, your clan, right? And they, all of a sudden they become family, like everybody's around the house, right? Maybe they're attracted to your your house. Maybe they're attracted to your ideals. Maybe they're attracted to the fact that your house is a holy house. What does that look like? What does a holy house look like? What is a holy God? How reverent must we be as we start this series about holy, holy, holy? How do we conduct ourselves? What does holy or what does royalty look like? I got to stand in front of royalty um, during my time in the Navy. Uh, every year, uh, the, the Royal Navy gets together for a, a whole bunch of like 300 sailors to whittle them down to like a group of sailors that can remember how, how to march again, you know. And they would get them from all around the country and they would establish them in this one place in the south of England and they would teach them for three weeks how to march in front of the Queen. They would get us together and then tell us to march and say it was freezing. November in England, it's freezing and we'd march and our hands would be freezing. They wouldn't give us any gloves and they would get us together and they train us how to stand still. So for the first week, we stood still for 30 minutes in a long coat from World War I. Stand there in this long blue coat, gray coat. Wasn't that great, right? We'd stand there. And then the next week, we'd stand there for about an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, so we're getting trained to stand up. And then the third week, we kind of like graduate to an hour and 40 minutes with squeaky boots and a rifle, eight pounds. Never forget how heavy that thing is. And we'd throw it around and put it back and forth and, you know, and stand there. And by the time we like got to the three weeks, the instructors would sit in front of us drinking, drinking cups of tea. Yeah, shouting at us, stand still! If we, if we moved our hat, you would hear them screaming at us to, to, to stand as still as possible because where we were going was Whitehall. Um, we've got a slide here to show you what that looks like. 
On the left here, uh, in, in the left-hand corner here, the left-hand middle, is where the Royal Navy are. To the south of that is the Royal Marines. Over to the right is the uh, Air Force, and to the, to the north of that is, is the uh, British Army. The Cenotaph is in the middle. It's where we gather every year, the 11th day, the 11th hour of the 11th month. And we gather here and train ourselves to be in front of the Queen. And we'd stand there. And we'd wait forever. It what seemed like a million years before the Queen would come out. Finally, she would grace us with our presence and she would come out in between where the sailors and the Royal Marines are. She'd walk out there and we'd all hold our breath kind of thing while she'd walk out. And she'd walk out and stand in front of the cenotaph. A million feet of sailors, soldiers, Royal Marines and airmen's ankles would come together in one unique boom. General salute, present. And the only time all four services were together in unison as they got ready and, 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 and at the same time as the, as the rifle came slowly down the middle of the body and people would play the national anthem. The guys there with the trumpets would pray and pray, play their instruments to let everybody know that the queen, we, we couldn't move because it, right in front of us, uh, right where the choir, see where the choir is there, that's where, above there, that's where the cameras were. The BBC were watching us and they play old BBC tapes to, to like mesmerize, like, oh, this is awful. And the, and, and the BBC had watched us there. So if we moved our hat, you can remember, I could hear voices in my head, stand still, I can still hear them today. There was a moment of grace when, um, the instructor would say, I don't care who you believe in. I don't care what God you bow down to. You will sing, our God, our help in ages past. And everybody would sing, our God, our help in ages past. I'll never forget it. And we'd hold our breath. Next slide. This house that we stood in front of was a revered place. This is in the middle of London. It doesn't get any more central than this. This is like the epicenter of the world. This is like royalty. This is Parliament Street. This is, the, this is where the Ministry of Defense gather. Right in front, of, right to the right of this building is Downing Street, 10 Downing Street, where the Prime Minister uh, lives. It doesn't get any more central, any more royal in this. We'd stand there and not breathe for a while. Next slide just in case you didn't believe I was there. Third on the front row, the queen is, to, is, is right in front of me. I'm looking straight at her. I'm not breathing there. It was a holy moment. It was a royal moment. Thanks. But God says, I will make you a home. I will make you a royal home. I will make you an imperial dynasty. I will make you a holy house. That's what he says to David. He says, in fact, your son will make a house. He doesn't know he's going to have this son, obviously. He says, your son, your physical son will build a physical place. And he builds a temple. But he says, more than that, a bit more eternal, he says, I am going to make a house and I will establish it forever. And we call it the covenant, right? It's the covenant. I will establish a house and he will, I will establish it forever. And he says, he will be a son to me 
and I will be his father. Does that ring any bells, brothers and sisters? He will be a son to me, and I will be his father. What does it sound like? That sounds like he's talking about the Messiah. That sounds like the stuff that we New Testament Christians think about. That sounds like he's talking about Jesus. I will establish a holy house through him, my son, the Messiah, and he will reign. And he will reign not in a house, in a physical place, but he will reign in here, amen? He will reign in here and he will come in and he will be with us. He will be at the depths of our souls and he will abide in us, says Jesus. And most of the New Testament says he will abide in us. And the old self, the old self will not want to be there anymore because we are trusting in the new self, amen? Says Paul. It might not be more than 1,200 square feet. It might not be more than this little place that you have, but at the center of it is something that is better than what we might decide or think or is beneficiary for our lives if we graduated through the Methodist system. Toward the end of this text, God softens up a little bit on David. God softens up a little bit. And he says, this covenant is through me, and it's through your line, your line, and I will bless you, and I will bless you because of my grace, because I want to, and I want your line to be assigned to those that who build a house in my name, because I will build a holy house. You need an upgrade to your house? You feel like you need some more square foot? You feel like you should put something else up to make your house look different? Dr. Freyman mentioned we are in uh, Lent season, like it, like it. Yeah. We're, in our, we're in our Lent season. And uh, back at Wellspring, I, I told them we're at Lent. And on Wednesday, we had an Ash Wednesday service. You know, you, you put your ash on your head. You know, you know the tradition. And uh, we, at, at Wellspring, it's a contemporary kind of setting, a little like this. And everyone likes playing rock and roll kind of thing. So on Wednesday, we have like a traditional service. Ooh, it's kind of cool, you know. We like, uh, have like really quiet music and everyone's in black. And, and everyone thinks it's really cool because we're like going back to the dark ages when we have traditional services, right? But at that time, in that time, yeah, in that time, I tell them that what we're preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ. We're preparing ourselves to look at ourselves and, and to think about what is happening in our lives, to think about uh, this 40 days of, of self-preparation or, or where our trust is and what possibly we should set our hearts apart from more than unplugging from your phone, more than fasting from Facebook, you know. This season, brothers and sisters, I want you to take a look at your house. I want you to take a look at your house, look around where you live, how you live, and who you live it for. I understand you're in seminary. I understand how difficult it is to arrange time in certain areas. I understand that the, the, the even though I am speaking right now, you're thinking about your next paper. I understand that there's some other class that you've got to get ready for. You've got family. You've got Boy Scouts to get ready for. You study God's word. You read it in Greek even. You study Jesus books, books that were written before the creation of England even. You study debate about substitutionary atonement and ransom atonement. You're clever people. You're clever people. But I noticed when I was here, if I didn't spend any time thinking about my holy house, 
if I didn't think about any time about his holiness or going into the holy closet and, and being excited and expected in worship when I came here, on, on, uh, when I was here, the spark, the reverence, the awe of stepping into his holy presence just wasn't there. Brothers and sisters, fellow proclaimers in the gospel, professors, staff, faculty, people that come here every week, those of you that taught me how to communicate the gospel clearly, consider a house. Consider a house that is established through a royal covenant, one that doesn't have doors hanging off it, needs the lawn mowing or paint chipping off the wall. Consider a home that God's grace is at the center, that has God as the principal architect, or has the divine planner consider a dynasty that leads back to a trust in the almighty God. Amen? Amen. Consider a house. I wanted to go back in time to my captain that sat across. I'll never forget, I was sitting here, he was sitting there, we were all buttoned up, and I looked at I felt like going back in time, shh, go back in time and said to him, no, Captain Perry, the most important thing in having a home is not location, location, location. It's most important is that it's established on his holy house, built on God's grace. It might be a crazy house in the middle of the street. It might be one that you pledge with your hand over your heart, that you want to build something that's wonderful. It might be one with a large clan of people. But consider building a royal dynasty. Consider building a revered home. Consider building a holy house for when God and his grace is at the center. That is the house that we are truly at home in. And that is the house that is surely worth standing still for.